0: side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your
1: host, Sean Shapiro. So, it's uh, it's been a good week for the Dallas Stars, eh, Ryan?
0: About as good as can be expected, considering that there's been no Dallas Stars hockey to watch, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. Probably about as good as a week you could have in mid-May for a team that missed the playoffs.
0: Yeah, exactly. The-
1: on Tuesday, the uh, Stars traded for Ben Bishop's rights, a pending unrestricted free agent goalie, obviously, and uh, there's still some pieces in place, obviously, that have to make that deal finalized, so he'll actually be indeed playing for the Stars in uh, in October. But the uh, you have, uh, and then yesterday, Wednesday night, the Anaheim Ducks... Um, got rid of uh, the exercised past ghosts and actually won a game seven and the stars picked up a second first round pick and we officially live in a world where patrick eaves was worthy of a first round was uh, the return for a first round pick which as you and i said at the time all the way back in february when this deal was made that's something that uh, back in october and no one of us, none of us would have believed that patrick eaves would have been a first round pick so you know what Jim Nill was probably the only person who had faith that the Ducks would be able to get the job done and, and, and win a playoff series when they had a lead, but uh, his uh, faith paid off.
0: Yeah, now he looks like a genius.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, and I know, and you and I have talked about this, and we've discussed the... Uh, everyone talks about and, and, and talks about this draft, and everyone says this is a weaker draft. And, and, and in a sense, it's a weaker draft because there's not the top... Top of the line. Uh, there's not the top line generational talent. There's no Connor McDavid. There's no Jack Eichel. There's no Austin Matthews at the top of the draft. But having the having three picks now because the Stars are going to have pick three. They're going to have anywhere between twenty be twenty eight through thirty one. I keep forgetting there's thirty one. Um, so it's either they could, they're going to have twenty eight through thirty one, and they're also going to have pick thirty nine. I believe if I do my math correctly, the eighth is, pick of the second yeah. round. Yeah, thirty nine. So, So you have three picks in the top 40, and I don't care about the crap where people say this is a weaker draft. You get three top 40 picks. You're getting three prospects you're adding to your pool. And this is, of course, if they keep all three of those picks. You're getting three prospects that you add to your pool that are going to be—should be good future players, and you should be able to add to a system that has been kind of depleted on the prospect standpoint in the past couple years because guys have graduated, and there's been a couple missed draft classes, frankly um and i, I want to talk about the draft stuff and everything like that but the first thing i think we'd be we'd be uh remiss if we didn't talk about ben bishop first because that's obviously the biggest the biggest news of the week um the biggest news of the week came on tuesday around four thirty when that trade was announced you texted me right away that, that you loved this steal 24 hours 36 hours later how do you take a look at it still
0: well, the answer to this question is the like the answer to every question in life, it depends. And it I don't I don't think it depends greatly on I don't think my let me phrase it this way. I don't think my opinion on this trade is going to change a ton depending on what the contract Ben Bishop is, but I could go from really really liking it to just kind of sort of liking it depending on what they end up getting Bishop in. Mm-hmm. with his contract. there's a, I mean, there's a lot to look at in here. I mean, yes, Ben Bishop is 30 years old right now and will be 31 within the next season. But I know we talked about this at one point during the season. He's a young 30 in terms of games played. He's only played 270 games in his NHL career. Whereas if you compare that to a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury... Okay, Marc-Andre Fleury is not a good example because he's two years older. But like yeah, yeah. a guy like Corey Schneider, who's who who's like half a year older than him, they were both... They were just a draft class apart. He's played 60 more games, which, I mean, you could obviously look at and say, well, Corey Schneider was a much higher-touted prospect than Ben Bishop was, blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't be wrong. But the fact of the matter is Ben Bishop doesn't have as many miles on him as someone like Corey Schneider would. And we're, I'm just using him as an example because of that absolutely asinine trade thought where the Stars give the number three overall pick for Corey Schneider. I don't even know who the why that was a thing. But... I mean, there is there. I mean, there. There's rightly injury concerns with Ben Bishop. He wasn't obviously he wasn't great this last year. He was hurt a lot of the year. But we're talking about a guy who had prior to this last year three straight seasons of playing at least 61 games, which is ideally the high end of what the Stars would expect him to play this year. But I mean, just looking at this trade, there's a couple of things that I think we can gather from this. One is one of Kari Lennon and Antini, I mean, You're not going to be back this next year. I, I don't know which one. I for, I mean, both could not be back. But obviously one of them isn't going to be back next year. They're not going to just bury one of them in the minors. Two, Jim Nill apparently was not willing to either gamble on getting Marc-Andre Fleury after the Penguins were eliminated and watching the goalie market around him potentially evaporate, or he felt that with the way Fleury has been playing, that the price for that acquisition was going to be too high and wasn't going to be worth it. Or maybe he just liked Ben Bishop more. I don't know that off the top of my head. I don't have any insight to that. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to take away from this is that we've both been kind of driving the Philip Grubauer bandwagon so far. Apparently, Jim Nill is not willing to potentially stake his job on a young up-and-coming goaltender who has no starting experience, no significant starting experience in the NHL. In Ben Bishop, you're going with a guy who just, the last time the stars were competitive in that season you're looking at a goalie who was a Vesna finalist and if Ben Bishop was that guy for the Dallas Stars we're talking about a potential run to the Stanley Cup finals so I mean we're talking this is a a very good player the Stars have gotten obviously there's some question marks there um my total feelings towards this trade I don't think you can kind of I don't I think it's to be determined depending on what the contract is but it's it's just a perfect situation I mean just say you get him signed I'm hoping they get him signed for it for five years max because anything longer than that, uh, it's just kind of you're kind of playing with fire at that point. But and I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about the draft. But if you get even six years, if you get Ben Bishop signed for five, six years, you're looking at, at your goalie for the present, and then you're in a situation where you can take a goalie at either 28, 29, whatever that picks up ends up being, or 39, and then you're in absolutely no rush to develop him. You let him sit for. You know, say you take Jake Ottinger from Boston University, you let him play the next two years at BU, then you sign him, and then you give him ample time to develop, whether that's in the AHL or the ECHL for a year or two, before you even think about having to have him on the major league roster. So it's just depending on what this contract ends up being for Ben Bishop, it's it's honestly an ideal situation for the Stars.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting too because you have the uh, with Bishop. There's a couple things that my initial reactions of not liking the contract and not liking the signing and liking the trade and when i when i first saw it and i admit this my my initial reaction of not liking it was my initial reaction was cuz i was reacting oh it's not Philip Grubauer i wasn't reacting to the deal i was thinking in my head they didn't make the deal i would have made and that's and that's and that's something that i think we all need to take a step back and realize when we make when we try to analyze any trade or any 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 deal it's you have to take a look at it and, and and grade it based on the actual trade, not based on what you would have done in your head. I would have my personally, I would have I was on the I would have liked to see them go get Philip Grubauer. Now, I can't judge the Ben Bishop trade based on what Sean Shapiro would have done. I have to grade it on I have to grade it on how it will actually work for the stars. And once I took a couple hours and thought about it that way, it's a good deal. It's a it's a trade where If you sign him, um, you're looking at a guy who you're getting some stability in net. no matter what happens, um, no matter what happens, you're upgrading your goaltending because whether it's Kari Letton and Ben Bishop or Ben Bishop and another young goalie, or it's still better than Kari Letton and and Antti Niemi. Even if Kari Letton is still part of the tandem, you're upgrading because you're replacing Antti Niemi with Ben Bishop. If uh, the contract... From the contract standpoint, you're looking at a point where, ideally, you'd like that. As you said, the in a perfect world, we're, we're seeing an announcement where he's getting what thirty thirty for thirty for five years, right?
0: I'd say that's a fair number. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's that's the perfect world, and maybe it's higher than that. Maybe 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 he wants six for six, but or, or something like that. But I mean, if you could get him for seven
0: years and five million a year, I'd honestly, I mean that. Seventh year would have would give me pause, but I mean, for five million dollars, I don't think. I mean, that's just another example, but you know what I'm saying.
1: Well, and the other the other nature too of the contract you have to think about is you have to look at the you have to look at the early parts and the benefits of this contract where it comes in and it does provide some stability and it gives it gives uh, some answers for the short term, and you can't get caught up in the long contract because of the following reasons. First of all. The cap is going to. go... I know the cap hasn't gone up, isn't going up from this year to next year, but the cap is going to continue to go up. Or oh, in in five years, the cap will not be seventy three million. The cap will be higher in five years from now. Correct.
0: I think that's fair to assume. Yeah.
1: So the cap will go up. On top of that, you can always buy out a bad contract. That's that's the thing where we, we talk about the where we've talked about the stars and letting in the Emmys contracts and everything like that, and. We're looking at a spot right here, where they're going to probably get rid of Anthony Niemi through the buyout because I don't see how anyone would trade for Niami in any circumstance whatsoever. And they're going to buy out his contract, and they're going to save three million dollars this year, and they'll take one point five. They'll take a one point five hit against the cap next year, but you can still buy out a bad contract at the end of things. It's a good. It's also, and, and I wrote this. I wrote this down, and and I, and and I put out some thoughts and observations on it. This is also the type of move that it's a it's a bold move that also tells your team that uh, tells your team that you're willing to you're not just, you're not gonna sit around and figure out you're not going to sit around and let other things come to you you're going to be a player this offseason and you're working it tells both your fan base and your players and by your players I mean Tyler Sagan who is going to be who you're going to hope to try to an extension sooner than later that you're going to try and continue to make your team better and you're going to be an act-first type of person and not the type of person who's going to sit and react.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, and then I know I I had a couple more thoughts that I just re-remembered. Okay. One... We say that if this deal gets done, and I know a couple people tweeted at you saying, well, why don't they just wait to sign him until after the expansion draft so then they don't have to protect him? Unless you have another move lined up where you're going to get a young guy like Grubauer or Calvin Pickard, for example, there's no reason to wait to sign Ben Bishop because who who else are you going to protect in goal?
1: Well, and the other thing, too, is that it becomes kind of just odd to me, too, where you don't wait to sign him till after the expansion draft, because hypothetically, and, and just and what, what about in the hypothetical world, George McPhee is extremely high in Ben Bishop, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take him either way, and then I'm going to go and offer him more than Dallas is offering him. Exactly. I mean, it, it's exactly. just, it's, I, I know he can, if you were going to, if you're going to wait to sign him after the expansion draft, you wouldn't have traded for his rights.
0: No, Exactly. Because
1: you would just wait until July 1st like everyone else.
0: And kind of an aside to that, how much of an idiotic trade does that look like for the Kings now? They literally they gave up a B-level prospect and traded down like 12 picks in the fourth round to get seven games of Ben Bishop, and they didn't even end up making the playoffs.
1: We, I, from the beginning, I called that Kings trade. That was a trade they should have made for Bishop. They should have made it in October yeah, when, in October yeah, the day after yeah. the day after uh, Jonathan Quick was out for 4 months they should have made it
0: right and anyway my last one is i know i just said maybe both guys get bought out but i think that if we're assuming they buy out Niemi i don't think that there's any chance they buy out Kari and trade for another young goalie aka Philip Grubauer or Calvin Pickard and the reason for that being is if you're signing Ben Bishop to anything other than if you're unless you're going to sign him a one year contract there's no need for a 25, 26-year-old goalie of the future, because then by the time that that, that this Ben Bishop contract is up, assuming that that player decided to stay with Dallas during the duration of Ben Bishop's contract, we'll be looking at the same thing where they'll then be, like take Philip Grubauer, for example. He turns 26 in November. Mm -hmm. If they sign Ben Bishop, they trade for him as well, and then they sign Ben Bishop to a five-year contract and Philip Grubauer to a three- or four-year contract. By the time, I mean, Grubauer's contract then would be up, hypothetically in this scenario, before Ben Bishop's would be. So there's no reason to acquire that younger guy if you're gonna if you're assume, if you're assuming that Ben Bishop's gonna be your guy for the next five years, which is why I think that they'll keep. Now that I've actually I thought about this when I, I was just went on a drive and I thought about this then and I don't know why I forgot about it, but that's why then you know you have one more season of Kari and if you get twenty twenty five games out of Kari I think he can be a serviceable backup, and then you go in next off season and you go after someone in the ilk of Peter Budai or someone like that and give him a $950,000 contract, just a guy that you want to play 20-some-odd games, and then you draft and develop your goalie of the future going forward because there's no need to get a guy who's currently, quote-unquote, your goalie of the future who's already in the NHL because then you're just wasting him, basically. You know what I mean? because yeah, I you, why would Why would Philip Grubauer want to come here and be a backup again when he could just do that in Washington?
1: Best case scenario with Kari, and you take a look at what he could become. And I was thinking because you think about Kari Lattonen, and he played well late in the season. Kari Lattonen plays well when there is no pressure at all. I think we can all agree upon that. It's always pressure that gets to him when he's when he struggled. It's been in the playoffs, and we've seen him, we've seen him, and he plays really well against bad teams. And he play when there's no pressure at all. Kari Lattonen is an elite goalie. That's not a good thing, but I'm just when he when, when there's no pressure, Kari Letton is is an elite goaltender. Can we can we say that's fair?
0: Yeah I think so.
1: So what if Kari Lettinen can be turned into Ray Emery from I think it was the 2012-13 season? I mean that's
0: yeah because I mean even if you look at say he comes out this year and he goes two four five something like that has a nine seventeen save percentage playing 23 games as your backup then I mean I, I don't know that the market even after next year would still be very high for him where then you give him a two-year three million dollar contract like that and that's a perfectly reasonable rate for a backup who's going to play 25 games for you
1: well i don't even i don't even think you bring him back after something like that but i'm just i'm just looking at in the immediate future i mean for if, if let me pull it up right here so ray emery during the 2012-13 season when uh when uh Corey crawford was the starting goalie obviously and played 60 games ray emery went 17 and 1 for the blackhawks that year as a backup he had a 1.94 goals against average and 9.22 save percentages as a backup. I'm not saying we can expect Kari to go 17 and one, but he play, But Emery played in no pressure situations. He played. The team buckled down a little bit more defensively when the backup was in goal, and he was good. And he and he and he, and he was good.
0: And I, th- I think we're also assuming that there's going to be a system improvement in front of him, which is going to help as well.
1: Oh, there has to be. I mean, that's the other thing with the Ben Bishop deal is. Ben Bishop Ben Bishop even if Ben Bishop had played last season you could have plugged any goalie into this system last year at the Stars and they would have struggled every any goalie would have struggled within the within behind the Stars defense last year It's. I, don't disagree. I mean not disagree with that at all so you you have to they'll have to improve defensively and that's a two prong system that's improving both a having a better defensive system put in by the coaching staff and ken hitchcock and also jim nild making a move here or there to solidify the defense and, and figuring it out and not having a system where you've got young guys who are too scared to make mistakes and playing not to make mistakes as opposed to playing hockey um, that's the just that's, that's just the, the state of the defensive system that has to change um, in front of ben bishop no matter who's in goal whether it's ben bishop or Carey, or whether they go and get uh or whether whether they do have a younger goalie as a backup. Those are those are things that the defense has to be better.
0: I would yeah, I mean I can't disagree with any of that whatsoever.
1: The uh I mean I th- think I think we're looking at and everyone I think we can look at it as a fact. The stars are ready to pay six six $6.5 for Bishop. They didn't trade for him. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They didn't trade for him not knowing what he wanted. Um, I know technically they can't negotiate a contract or anything like that when he was still property of the kings, but you can talk to one person, you can talk to another person. They knew exactly what Bishop was looking for. So they traded for him with full intention of, this is what this guy thinks he's worth, and we're willing to pay that. So we can all... Except that they're going to sign Ben Bishop,
0: right? Because that's one of those things where you know when you see someone acquires the rights to someone, but it's just kind of a shot in the dark where they'll trade a a conditional sixth-round mm-hmm. pick that becomes a fourth-round pick if they sign him. This wasn't that. This was a straight fourth-round pick. There's no conditions attached to it. Mm-hmm. So when you when it's something like that, you can kind of infer that they're fairly they're pretty near certain, confident that they can get a deal done here in the next couple weeks, month or so, whatever. What I don't even know what month it is anymore.
1: We're in May. We're in May now.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. So you they there. I feel like they're pretty confident they'll get something done before expansion. Then.
1: And it's and it's not and it's the uh, speaking of the pick. It was the pick they got for Jordy Ben. I mean, so hypothetically, once this deal is finalized, you're looking at it, the fuzzy math of it, where the Stars traded Jordy Ben for Greg Pattern and Ben Bishop. <laughs>
0: seven degrees of separation there
1: yeah so i mean obviously it's fuzzy math as i said um the uh it's going to be the other the other funny thing too and it just it's i just have to comment on it because it's the twitter world we live in and everything like that it's funny to me where we talk about trading for bishop and talk about acquiring for bishop and that's everyone all the stars fans have told me they've wanted on twitter for two years now right and then the minute the question comes out well, we traded for him so what's it's going to be worth all of a sudden i put out there on twitter yesterday that it's probably going to take around 6 million a year and they're looking around 5 or 6 years and all of a sudden everyone freaks out <laughs> it's just, what it's,
0: it's not your money though this is i this is the other thing that irks especially it's more so a thing in baseball than anything else where they're like oh that's too much money for them I'm like why the f- Fuck do you care? Are you dishing out a $35 million check for Alex Rodriguez to not play baseball this year? No, you're not. I mean, granted, if, I mean, I'm also not going to these games so I don't have to suffer outlandish $75 upper bowl ticket prices at piss-soaked Yankee Stadium. But I mean, still, it's not your money. Take a chill pill. And I get, I get with the salary cap it's a little bit different, but the Stars have more than enough salary cap space, so just... You knew that you knew what the deal was. You're not going to get. You can't get a borderline elite goalie for less than six million dollars a year. So simmer down.
1: And they're also going to. The other thing you have to look to is they're going to save three million dollars. I mean, I'm assuming Niemi's getting bought out because I don't see any other solution for Niemi to be gone. So either way, they're saving three million dollars in cap space um, by with Niemi being gone. So in reality, you're just spending. It's just going to cost you three if you think about it from your current cap situation. If the goaltenders are Kari Lennon and Ben Bishop. And you buy out Antiniami; it's only going to cost you three million dollars against a cap. On top of that, they're going to get around ten million dollars back. Actually, no, they're going to get a, roughly a dozen. A dozen, sorry, yeah, $12 dollars $12 in cap space back just from Yuri Hoodler, um, Alish Hemsky, and Patrick Sharp, three players who did jack squat basically for them this year. And, now, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to injuries for some in Hemsky and Patrick Sharp who fought through quite a bit this year and 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 injuries for all three but in reality they spent 12 million dollars on nothing this past year that they're going to get back um to use against the cap for next year
0: yeah exactly so what's the i don't understand what the fuss about this is it's
1: i complaining about something to complain about something i don't know it's I, and I too I I don't, I don't the I don't like the initial optics of it and I, and I and, and I look at it and I'm like oh wow they're going to they've already they've just tried to throw money at the problem in the past and it looks like they're throwing money at the problem either way they're improving their goaltending and it's either way you not you're not getting another another guy was going to get was going to ask for a similar amount I mean in, in, the, in the in the at the end of the day Scott Darling ended up signing for what 4.2 per year something like that yeah it's only 1.5 in cap space, which is really. Right, right. For a guy who's been a career backup so far. Mm-hmm. Do you think. I'm curious, I wanted to pick your thoughts on this, because you mentioned earlier in the podcast when we started on, you talked about how uh, Jim Nill was not willing to wait around for Marc Andre Fleury, or he wasn't, didn't, was worried too worried about the cost that it would be to acquire Marc Andre Fleury after what he's done in the playoffs. Do you think this trade happens today if carolina hadn't traded for darlene 2 weeks ago
0: probably i mean if scott darling was still theoretically available i think that he might have waited just to see what what that kind of would shape out to be but i mean if you look if if we if we're operating under the premise that jim nil was always going to target a guy who has significant I see Scott Darling. I mean, he. Does, what's he been? He's been Chicago's backup for what three years now? Uh,
1: three years, because we just talked about 2012, 13 when uh, Ray Emery was.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess that can. I guess even if it's just a backup, a backup role, you can that can constitute a significant NHL experience, significant enough for the purposes of this conversation. If we're assuming that that was going to be the type of guy that he targeted, there really was only a handful of guys that that could fall under, and that'd be Bishop, Mark Andre Fleury, Scott Darling, and. I don't even know who else would that I, those might honestly be the only three guys. I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head.
1: Well, and no, Um, I mean, you, you could have, um, I know some people had thought maybe Steve Mason would be in that conversation.
0: Okay. Steve Mason. Yeah. Steve Mason. That's fair as well. But, or I mean, even if you're looking at like someone like Jimmy Howard or something like that, but I mean, that's like a way off if you're really desperate for someone, I guess at this point, but, if Scott Darling was still out there, I think he would have maybe waited on Flurry for a second. But then you're getting to the point where if we're assuming those were... Th- this uh, this is this is what I'm saying is operating under the assumption that those would be the three guys that he was targeting and not necessarily Steve Mason or Jimmy Howard. I, don't, I didn't even hear Jimmy Howard's name. I just pulled up Cap Friendly and Detroit was the first team that I saw. So I thought Jimmy Howard. But if we're operating under the assumption it was those three guys and you already see ones down and off the market... Why wait? Because you know Calgary's probably looking for a goalie, too. There's a couple other teams that are looking for a starting goalie. So why wait and risk it? Because, I mean, especially the way that Fleury... If, like, say if... Say the Pens lost last night and Flurry, Well, this trade happened before that. But say he waited another day and say the Pens lost last night and Fleury got torched. Then maybe you're looking at a situation where, okay, let's see what we can do here. But Fleury goes out and pitches a shutout. So now you have at least another week and a half until that becomes a conversation that can happen. It's just, it's just if you view these guys as similar, which I mean, I would, I view them as similar players. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury has shown that he can kick it into another gear in the postseason, postseason and win you a game. I mean, but that's the bad guy he's been his entire career. He at times looks like the best goalie in the league, and at other times he looks like he couldn't stop a beach ball. But there's no reason to wait for that, especially if the price is a, just a fourth round pick, because what Fleury's got like two more years left on his contract. So just given that, the price would be. Deeper, I would think, especially, and especially the way that he's acquitted himself this postseason is we've talked about this before in the past where a guy has an unbelievable postseason and he gets unjustly rewarded for it the following offseason with a fat contract, a.k.a. Brian Bickle. And what the hell, Villy Lano, guys like that. Uh, there's just, there was no reason to wait. Fleury's two years older. He's also a guy who has had injury problems in the past. So I, I wouldn't, I could understand why he wouldn't want to wait for that. And, and,
1: and a quick touch on that. I mean, Matt Murray is not going to be available too, because I know someone's going to say that and bring it up. The Penguins.
0: Oh, the only way Matt Murray's available is if Marc-Andre Fleury feels like being a dick and says he's not waving his no movement clause. But I feel like they're going to entice him. Yes. In some way to make that happen. Exactly.
1: There's no way that Matt Murray's available to. I just want, I just need to say that on here before anyone throws that out there that, well, maybe Murray will be available since, because of Flurry's play. That's not happening. Um,
0: Yeah. And if Matt Murray was available, you know what the starting ask would be for that? that Number three overall. That would be. be Plus. Plus. Plus.
1: Plus. plus. That would be. Yes. Um, So it's, this is the move, the Bishop move makes sense for the Stars, actually, the more you think about it. It's not the move that I would have made at first, and I'm going to go back to say I wanted Philip Grubauer, but I'm also not the person who has to stake my job on whether Philip Grubauer pans out the way I think he will or not. Uh, Jim Nill, there's a track record that Ben Bishop is a good NHL goalie, and he will be reliable as a starter. Um, now, he, he'll need a better defense in front of him, but this could work very well. And I know people aren't going to like what the contract looks in year three, four, and five, but if you look at the short term and you look at a team that is not in a rebuild, but just in a reload, this is the type of move a team in a reload makes as opposed to being in a rebuild.
0: Right, it's, and it's the same situation that Chicago's in right now, that they're absolutely and totally screwed with the salary cap, and they could very well be a mediocre team for the next five to six years. But they won three Stanley Cups, so Stan Bowman's going to sit there and say every single time it was worth it. Mm-hmm. If the Stars go out and they're able to win a Stanley Cup in the next three years with Ben Bishop backstopping the team, even if he turns into a total pumpkin the last half of this contract, it was worth it
1: it wasn't it's not the not the money cuz obviously the money wasn't as big and as public them but he's about the same age Belfort was when when Belfort came to Dallas right
0: ooh let's
1: let's see i'm pulling up actually so Ed, here, i i found it so i'll give you i'll give Belfort came to Dallas in 90 before the 97 season. Belfort was 32 Belfour okay. was 32 when he came to Dallas, and then he was there for uh, four seasons, and then left when he was 36. And his final year in Dallas, he was eh, he was okay, but uh, but the Stars won a cup, and the Stars won a cup with Belfour net. And I don't think anyone would be and, and no one's disappointed with how that turned out. So
0: no, no, and that was a situation too where he kind of. Started to get forced out because of the emergence of Marty Turco. Mm-hmm. And if we're in a situation, if we're talking about this situation here, where the Stars draft a goalie this year, and you get to year four and year five of this Ben Bishop hypothetical Ben Bishop contract, and you start to, you know, you have whatever your backup goalie is, and then after one year, it was a one-year deal, so he's gone. So then you bring up whoever they draft this year, and he starts playing fifteen, twenty games a year, and he starts progressively taking more time. So by the time the contract is up, you have yourself a guy who was already playing thirty-five games a year as your backup anyway. It's a if assuming that this is doesn't become a 7 8 year contract it's the perfect now the perfect in the present to transition to the future goal potential goalie that you have right now in Ben Bishop
1: agreed no i agree with that and it's uh, i mean i keep saying the one guy i'd like as backup and i just look at him because he could be the goalie of the future he could also be he could also just i think he's got the right attitude and could be a good backup is I think Pickard. I know Calvin I know Pickard will be 20 uh, just Pickard just turned 25. He was 24 this past season. Um, so theoretically you're looking at him if if you bring in Calvin Pickard because Grubauer is going to be 26 this year. Ront is 28. All those other guys are a little bit too old. I think Pickard's the one guy who's maybe young enough still to be part of that transition because he could be the backup theoretically for 3 and a, 3 years and then become your starter and start to take over when he's 28. start Start to take Uh-oh. hold on. Yep, dogs. What do we have? We have uh, the UPS truck coming to buy. Anywho, what was I saying? Oh, Calvin Pickard um, could start to become your starter when he's 28, 29, which is not which is not too bad as far as age for goalies. And I think he's got a good attitude. And I think he would just be happy playing for getting out of getting out of Colorado with what he's dealt with there. So that's the one guy I look at who's young who could still fit as the backup here. And I think he'd be relatively cheap two compared to comparatively
0: well yeah you'd have him I mean if we're if they get him this off season somehow you know you got him at one million next year then you say you get him a two year offer after two three year offer after that mm-hmm. and get him for two million dollars a year whatever that's still not an awful rate for a good backup and then if you get it to the point where you're a trait, you just kind of slowly transition him to more starts versus Ben Bishop and then I mean it's something that could work so then I don't know. I'm not counting on it though. No, no, I, no. I, no, I, no. I literally as, as nice of a situation as that would be to have an entirely new slate of goaltending. I just, I don't see a scenario in which they acquire another goaltender right now.
1: If I, if I'm gambling and I'm betting, I am betting that Carrie and and Ben Bishop as your goalie tandem on opening night. That's what, if you, if, if you're giving me a hundred bucks and you're telling me put it and most, you're most confident you're setting the best odds. That's where I'm putting my money right now.
0: Yeah. Um, then I mean, then you get into a situation where it's like, well, we gotta leave Bishop on side so we can protect this guy, and blah 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 blah. But mm-hmm. I don't. Know, I know Stranger Things have happened.
1: No but. Stranger Things have happened, and you you could see something else work out. But I either way, I just don't see. Uh, I don't see anything else. Uh, I, I don't see them as much as I'd like to see it happen and see them make that move. I don't see them grabbing the goalie of the future this offseason who will be on the roster they could now and let's get back let's go let's talk a little bit more about that draft pick now that they picked up and we opened the podcast talking about how the ducks got the job done and now the stars are gonna have three picks in the top 39 you're looking at this draft and i know people don't like the optics of taking a goalie early and i know a lot of people are jilted and there's been uh there's been a lot of uh frustration be obviously because of what happened with uh, with jack campbell the last time the stars took a goalie that was pretty high in the draft and philip derosier was also a second round pick and he hasn't really done very much either so i know the stars have gotten burned on picking goalies in the back but i'd look take a look at some of these goalies now and i take a look at this draft and this is the perfect time to take a goalie with either whether it's pick. 28 29 or with 39 i with i mean you're looking at obviously i know J- Jake Ottinger is that first guy up there but you're also looking at i uh uh Keith petruzzi petruzzi i think is how you pronounce it who plays for muskegon in the USHL who 65 180 who is a big goalie and could and could be a good project you've also got um i think Ian Scott is plays in the WHL um and Prince Albert there's three goalies i mean from everything I've read and people I've talked to, there's three or four goalies that are worthy of top 45 picks this year.
0: Right. And it's, and this isn't, I know we get the willies about the Jack Campbell situation, but this isn't taking Jack Campbell to pass on Cam Fowler. You're already getting your guy at three at number three overall. It's just, you're, it's essentially, you're playing with house money at this point. And I know we talked about, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago that seems if there's a guy that the stars, Value not necessarily at three, but they kind of like him a little bit, and he starts sliding. They start sliding down the draft. They're also in a position where they can use that second, first round pick to trade up, and pick a guy who's maybe in a free fall. So I mean, there's a lot of options that you can do with that. But yeah, like four picks in the top 39, or three three picks in the top 39. I don't know why I said four, mm-hmm. but you're with one of those, either the second first round pick or the 39th overall. You're in a perfect spot to take a goalie because you're. It's not like if say the stars were draft it wasn't like last year. We'll use that as an example where you have one shot in the first round, you gotta get someone mm-hmm. who you feel is gonna be a contributor to your future. Now you're gonna get your guy who you who should be a blue chip guy who should be a major contributor on your team in the next four to five years. Okay, we got a second first round pick, let's take a stab at someone to see if we can address an organ what's been an organizational need for the last fifteen years.
1: Yeah, and and also I want to I want to address and talk about today the third round pick and the potential of trading it. Um,
0: you mean the third overall the third, pick? The third
1: overall pick. Yes, I want to I want to talk about the potential of trading something I've been kicking around in my head, and I know people have, and I myself have said if somebody comes away and floors you with an offer and says, hey, we want to jump up to three and we'll give you this 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 type of this, we'll give you this or anything like that, I, I'm all for that. I don't like the idea of trading, obviously, three for Corey Schneider, as that was suggested by some, as, as that as that had been suggested. No, no, no. no. Um, but the other thing I was thinking about, unless you get floored by an offer, why would you trade number three? Like, I don't understand. If you, I mean, if you, if someone, if people come shopping to you and, and they come offering, and you can build up a price for it, great. But if there's not that much of an interest, I hold on to number three, and because I, I even, I even, I even saw some some people that suggested had some people had suggested trading number three to Vegas for number six um, and with with the condition that Vegas then takes one of the star's goalies to take to take the cap hit off the books. I'm not even a fan of that because of I think buying out a goalie is easy. It's not that difficult um, right
0: what the' you're the only down, the, what is that's gonna all that's gonna save you is 1.5 million off the cap for not this next season but the season after that correct. Well, well, 1.5 off of both seasons, but that's an insignificant number almost. And, it, it would be significant if you were Chicago and you were consistently up against the cap, but this team is not.
1: And, and on top of that, I know we talk about this being a weaker draft and we and being a spot. In the weaker draft, don't you want to be in the best spot to trust your scouts? Like, I mean, you, you've hired your scouts for a reason. Your scouts are in space for a reason. You trust your scouts for a reason. If you truly trust your scouting department, and you literally, they can pick Anyone on the board, they uh, they can pick anyone on the board other than Nolan Patrick and uh, and, uh, Nico he- and Nico and Nico Heisher or Nico Heisher, however you pronounce it. Why would you then? And so you can pick anyone on the board, and you can trust your scouting department. You can actually, you don't have to make your pick based off what anyone else does. That's an opportunity I don't trade away unless I'm getting the moon for it.
0: Oh, exactly. If I'm Jim Nill and someone calls me, I'm telling him starting ask is a first round pick and then a second round pick plus a, a mid level prospect mm-hmm. start with the bidding that's my bare minimum ask and if no one gives it to me I'm taking whoever I think is best mm-hmm. which I mean that's a whole other freaking debate for I don't know maybe we could have
1: it I don't know well and, and we, can, we can we can we can probably have that debate closer to the draft I mean in my mind and this is something we're still 2 months away from it but like in my mind there's still in my mind if i and i've watched a bunch of video on a bunch of these guys and some of the people may have read some of the prospect reports and scouting reports i put in my mind it's down to three guys that they that that i would take at three if i was if i was in the dallas stars scouting department and i was going to be and, and i was and i was going to come in and they were going to say they're say, okay well who who should we take at three there's three guys in my mind that i'm like i'd be okay with any of these three guys at number three um Maybe one yesterday I'm high on this guy. Today I'm high on this guy. But either way, there's three guys in my mind that I'm picking through them. And I'd like to, if I'm the stars and I'm in the position, Jim Nils spot, and I'd like to take those three guys. I'd like to dissect those three guys, pick who's the best for my franchise. And I'd like to pick who I think is best as opposed to picking, well, he's available. He's available because Colorado took the other guy I liked or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he- You're you're in a situation now where, I I guess this is going to get into a a, a debate, which I don't really want to cause a debate, but what have we learned from watching the playoffs this year and the four teams that have made it this far? It's that slick-skating, puck-moving defensemen can make you a great team and overcome a lot of other perceived weaknesses you have. Not that there's an Eric Carlson in this draft, but Eric Carlson has pretty much single-handedly willed the Ottawa Senators to the conference finals. And I get that they had a weak draw, but this is a team that doesn't get out of the first round without Eric Carlson. They don't get past the Rangers without Eric Carlson. You look at Pittsburgh, and I know they're missing Chris Latang, but they still have guys like Justin Schultz, Brian Dumoulin, guys like that who can move the puck well and make smart plays with it. You look at the Western Conference, the The Ducks with Fowler and awful turnover in front of the net that cost John Gibson a shutout and cost me 40 points in fantasy notwithstanding. Shea Theodore has been fantastic. Lindholm. And don't even get me started on Nashville. Holy fuck. That defense is – they have the best defense in the league. And this is my thing is everyone has been – I've seen so much shit clamoring for the, the last two weeks for Gabe Velarde and Owen Tippett and no, they should take middle stat. Here's how I'm looking at this. Who've the stars taken the last two first rounds?
1: They've taken Guryanov and Riley Tufty
0: You've taken two wingers. Why are you going to take a winger for the third year in a row? There is zero, or if there's an organizational strength right now, it's wing. Mm-hmm. You have two potential top six wingers in your system right now. You have another potential top six winger who's currently playing in Russia, who's still only 21 years old, and who should be back within the next year or two. You have Jamie Ben for the next eight years. You have. Brett Ritchie, who's just starting to come into his own at the NHL level. Where are you going to put another winger at in this this top six? There's no room for it. Secondly, with the center, this entirely depends on, I feel like, well, it depends on two things. It depends on, one, if you think they get Sagan signed. If they get Sagan signed, they don't need another number one center for the next decade, because they got that set. And two, it depends entirely how you feel about Rupe Hintz and his potential. Mm -hmm. If you feel like in two years... After Jason Spets' contract is up, that he can slide into that second line center role and be a 50, 55, 60 point guy. Why do you need another center? Where are you, you going to put Gabe Villardi at? Are you going to slide him to the wing and do this clusterfuck that they did with Sagan where you're playing a center at a wing and it's just a disaster again? No, because you got Foxy, you got Devin Shore, you got Jamel Smith. You have your bottom six centers covered. If you feel like Rupe Hins can be a second line center, you don't need another center. That leads me to defense. And this is, regardless of how you feel about the defensemen they have on this team right now, regardless of what you feel Julius Honka's true potential is, tell me it doesn't just get your jimmies all rustled sitting there thinking about a future top six of John Klingberg, Julius Honka, Esa Lindell, and whoever you think you're the best defenseman is in this class. So say, Miro Heiskanen. Compare that to something like Nashville has. And I'm not going to say that Julius Honka has P.K. Subban-type potential. But when you stack, if you feel that over the next five to ten years, Julius Honka and John Klingberg can both be 55, 50, 55, 60-point defensemen, that's incredibly similar to the production that Nashville got this year out of Subban and Ryan Ellis on the right side. Then on the left side Nashville, Roman Yossi, Matthias Ekholm. I feel like it's not a stretch to say Esselindel can be a type of Matthias Ekholm-type player. And if we're saying the stars draft Miro Heishkinen at three, number three overall, if he can be 80% of the player that Roman Yossi is, I take him in no questions asked. I don't even hesitate, but tell me that's not, tell me that's not setting the stars up perfectly for the future. No, that,
1: that is, like, that is, I mean, and, and this is obviously, this is in figuring out all of this, there's lots of pieces that have to make it work, but if you're, te- if you can, if, if you can look at Heishkinen and that's the guy who, and that's the defenseman, you take defenseman at number three, that's the one who I, I look at and he's still, and he's, of the three guys in my head, who you could take, he is the one who keeps rising to the top, and he's a 17-year-old who played in played in Finnish in Finland's top league list last year he was very good. And take a look if he can become let's say, let's just say let's just set the example where he could become 80 percent of Romaniose. Imagine a top six a def- six defensive pairs in three years, and this is where. As, and you're going to have time to transition to this because obviously Dan Hamhuis will probably be part of the team next year. But in, in three years, you're looking at a top six where Essa Lindell, who is, who is seasoned and is, has a ton of potential with John Klingberg, protect, potentially Heiskanen playing with Julius Honka. And then you have Steven Johns with whoever who survives, whoever you still have left on the left side, who could be a number of guys. But all of a sudden, that becomes a group of defensemen that. Can skate the puck, can move the puck. You become a group that I go back to. I go back to when the Stars lost to the Blues in the playoffs last year, um, and Ken Hitchcock in his post-game press conference then, as the coach of the Blues, said the Stars are the future of the NHL. Well, the Stars would actually be the future of the NHL if you're looking at a defense like that, and those guys could actually project out and plan out and become that defense that you're It's a five-man attack. It becomes it becomes an attack where. Wherever you are on the ice, you're attacking, the play is moving forward, and you don't even need one of them to become Eric Carlson. You just need you, don't need, you don't need an Eric Carlson. You just need five guys who, if you have, Eric Carlson's obviously great. If you could have Eric Carlson, if John Klingberg could become Eric Carlson, great. I don't know if he can. He could. He, he might have potential. He, he has potential to. He has to get better defensively, obviously, to reach that. But say he does. Say he doesn't, though. If you have guys, five guys, if you have four or five guys who can be Eric Carlson light, I would take that any day of the week
0: yeah exactly it's like like even I, I keep using Nashville because it's such a it's such a prominent example right now they had none of their defensemen hit 50 points this year and granted that was because Yossi missed 10 games Subban missed 15 games both of them probably would have got there had they not but you're just like you have as awful of a year as he had this year you have Steven Johns as your third pairing defenseman out there killing penalties that's a perfect role for him oh as of right and now, and he'd
1: be a perfect long term stephen johns likes to hit people and i know i know exactly. I, I, I know hits are something that people have been people have over have say oh if you're hitting people you don't have the puck well hitting hitting people hits i think hits are have kind of fallen into that bad trap of analytics first watching the game where they've become good or bad um there are good hits and bad hits that's the other thing like it's hits aren't all bad and they aren't all good just like block shots they're not all good and they're not all bad um like we can take a look at Chris Russell from Edmonton. I know Chris Russell has more blocked shots because he's in his defensive zone more often, but do you want Chris Russell not blocking the shots? He's made a couple like he made a couple plays in that series that actually saved goals for the for against for the Oilers. So, hits and blocked shots have kind of unfairly gotten stuck in this middle ground. They should be in the middle ground where they unfortunately have been forced into a black and white world where hits are bad or hits are good. There's old school and analytic people are fighting on that where there should be a middle ground where hits are good, but smart hits are good and, 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 and smart hits are good and, and dumb hits are bad. And that's the thing where Stephen Johns likes to hit people. If you have a third pairing guy on the right side who could skate and puts a little fear into the other guys when you're out there and is a change of pace from, 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 from uh, Julius Honk and John Klingberg... That's that's a really good combination that you have to be concerned about.
0: Yeah, it really is, and I mean, this this is one thing that I took out of this semester more than anything. The answer to any single question in life is it depends, and that kind of goes into that. Is it a good? Is it good? Is it bad? It depends. But I just the other thing that I don't get is Stars fans have been bitching and moaning for ten years that they don't have a number one defenseman since Sergei Zubov left, and now they have a chance to draft one, and they're like, let's draft Gabe Velarde. let's draft a forward. No you're wrong. You're all wrong. I just, but I mean, I thought that cause I, I went up to Oregon today, Ohio, not Oregon, the state. And so, I mean, I had like an hour and a half to sit there and think and that popped into my head. I'm like, this is, and I get that. I mean, like using Roman Yossi as an example, he was a guy who the three year, the first three years after he got drafted, he played two more years in Switzerland than a full season in the AHL. So he legitimate. And, and granted, it's a little bit of a different comp because he was early second round pick and not number three overall but he was he he didn't become a legitimate NHL player until 5 years after he got drafted and i know sometimes that's a scary thing for people to say like why are we waiting that long but i just i can't sit here and say with a straight face that if you give me a guy like Roman Yossi in four years, you have to wait four years for him, but you're going to have a guy who's going to be like... And I know that's not how it works, that they obviously have to develop, right, and blah, 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 blah. But if you're saying that there's a chance of that happening, I'm taking it every single time.
1: Well, And, and the only player, like, for example, I mean, I'm not saying... At three is where you actually pick at in this draft. At number three is where you actually start picking based on need. In the NHL, if you have a first two pick, you're gonna take the best player available. It's I mean, if 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 the stars were at number one and won the lottery, you take Owen Patrick. You take you take Nolan Patrick. I, I I understand that. It's you take the best player available. But where the stars are at number three, you start to take the position of need. You start to look at it, and I don't care if you take a look at. I don't care. and, and you made the perfect example before. What spot do you have for Gabe Velarde if you continue to with your current position and you don't want to turn him into a winger, you don't want to turn him to, you want him to be his best, you want the best possible player there. Heischer could be, uh, it's not Heischer, sorry, Heiskenen could become the best possible, will, is 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 looked at as the best defenseman in this draft and could, is looked at as a long-term defenseman people, by many people. That's something they need long-term. They really need that. Um, and that's really... I mean, I'm, I'm now. I said there's three guys that look at before, but obviously people are now going to put two and two together. That there's three guys, but obviously there's one. Hyskin is obviously the guy in my head who I think should they should take at three, and I'm fine with saying that. And and I'd be very happy with him at three.
0: And that's the other thing that I don't get is you see this stuff about like even like big old hockey. People are saying, well, maybe they'll be looking at here at three. They're kind of good on defense. They have a lot of good. Young, they have a lot of young defensemen. It's like, okay, you have a lot of young defensemen, but they're not necessarily all great young defensemen who are going to be future guys here. You know, Patrick Nemeth and or Jamie Alexiak may be gone this off season. Steve, who knows what Stephen John's even future is here. It's just, there's, like I said, even it's completely irregardless of how you feel about Julius Honka because even if he's a number 1 if he, even if you feel like he can project into a number 1 defenseman which I don't necessarily think I think he's more of a 2 3 guy than anything but even if you project even if you personally are sitting there and say yeah I think Julia Sanka could be a top pair defenseman why don't you take another one the, like the, that's the one like you could you can have too many centers you can never have too many great defensemen because there's just there's I can count on two hands the number of truly elite defensemen there are in the NHL right now you can't. It's a lot easier to find a second-line center through free agency or for trade or later in the draft than it is to find a true top-pairing defenseman. So if you have the opportunity to take one, why don't you – it's it's playing the percentages. Why don't you take him when you have the opportunity to is, instead of trying to find one through a trade later? And to
1: quickly address what some people have asked me on Twitter, they're like, oh, well, if you take a defenseman, all of a sudden we run into a log jam like we had this year with eight defensemen. No, you don't, because for one, if you're drafting the kid who's 17 right now, he's not going to be an NHL player for three years. So it's not, I mean, Honka didn't cause a, Honka was drafted in 2014. He didn't cause a log jam for three years. That's on Jim Nill to figure that out beforehand, or whoever the GM is, if, if hypothetically, if Jim Nill's not the GM, but Jim Nill probably will be, but that's on the GM to figure it out and make sure that he doesn't run into that log jam again. He made the mistake this year. He got burned on that, but he also wasn't dealing with, Patrick Nemeth is Patrick Nemeth's a good player, and I like I like Patrick Nemeth. I think he could be an NHL player. But Patrick Nemeth isn't the type of player that other teams were like, oh well, we really want Patrick Nemeth. I mean, the moral of the story is if Patrick if if there was a hot market for Patrick Nemeth, if every other team in the league wanted him, he still wouldn't have been here. They wouldn't have had eight guys. So it's not like it's <sighs> drafting a defenseman doesn't add to the logjam. It's it's not a logjam. It doesn't create a logjam. Um, if anything. You've got assets that become, as guys develop, you have Gavin Bayreuther, who was a good college free agent signing uh, on defense. Maybe he becomes that guy on the left side long-term with Stephen Johns. Um, he's another guy who can skate and move the puck well. You can never have too many guys like that. And eventually, you have to make a choice, and this is for the decision at that time. Who do you keep? Who becomes something to get another piece to make your team better? Why, why were the, i mean, the Blackhawks have reached the point now where they, they've started to— uh, Actually, no. I'm, you know, I'll use Detroit as an example. Detroit, as because I, I went through and read that story you told me about the other day, the dynasty that ate itself with the Red Wings, right? Where, yes, where yes. the Red Wings, the Red Wings continued to look at and, and build, and they just kept selling off within their system. And that's to one point the Stars will have points in their system where they can even sell off guys as they get older and promote within the system. It's it's just something. I, I'm mumbling right now and I realize it, but having too many defensemen isn't a bad thing as long as it's managed properly and it's not something they'll they'll be in chaos or or snafu mode to figure it out for at least 3 or 4 years no matter who they take in the first round.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh this is going to be a uh... <laughs> Too much debate over the next two months for my liking. I guess it's only a month and a half now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know what? And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have the debate about uh, who their second or third pick is. I think I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, if it's, I think it becomes if you can get Ottinger at 28 or 29, I go there. Or maybe you decide, you know what? He's. Maybe we we grab Ottinger at thirty nine if 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 we think he's going to fall there and then maybe one of because I think in this draft the other thing I think there's a lot of interesting there's a lot of interesting projects of guys who could be very good um, that just need some work uh, I mean there's the uh, like for example uh, there's the there's there's the Russian kid Klim Klim Kostin, who only played like twenty something games this year because he had shoulder surgery but he was still the top ranked European skater. I think he could be a very good player. There's some issues and there's the Russian factor around him and stuff like that. But he's a guy that if the team drafted him and said, okay, hey, Clem, if he falls in the draft and he's available available late in the first round, he's a guy that if you draft him and you say, you know what, we're going to be patient. We're going to let him spend three or four years. We're going to let him spend three years in Russia or two years in Russia before we try and bring him over. There's a bunch of projects like that that I think are really intriguing that you could You could get either late first round, early second round. Um, There's a bunch. There's a couple Swedish. There's a couple. uh, There's a couple uh, Swedish and and, uh, Finnish kids who I've looked at like that. Who are guys who, you know, you say, you know what? They're not going to be ready for two or three years, but damn, they might be really good in four or five.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just it's a great draft. It's a great situation for the stars, obviously. And I mean, obviously, it kind of happened because they were. Hot garbage for most of the year, but this will be. I think this will be the defining draft class of Jim Mills' tenure. Which I mean, it's obviously kind of a no shit Sherlock statement to say, state, but you got three picks in the top thirty-nine. You legitimately could add. Could the stars could be adding three true impact NHL future NHL player? I mean, to varying degrees, but they could be adding three legitimate NHL players to their roster at the end of June. They could. Future NHL players, they I could, and say.
1: that doesn't include the potential of. I mean, the stars have gotten lucky with later picks than the before, um, and so who knows? You could always, you could always, you could always win the lotter win the lottery again on a fourth or sixth round pick randomly. Who knows? Because uh, I'm sure there's there's there are going to be players that are underscouted and undervalued this year just because of how much so many people have freaked out about trying to figure out who should be taken in the first two rounds. Um, true, true. Uh, the uh, last thing before let you go i just wrote something about this because i was looking at and we talked about top six wingers and one thing that maybe and this is more of a short-term solution and i was writing about it and and you take a look at i think ideally if you're looking at acquiring a forward in the offseason for the stars i think you're looking at you want to get in on the either radulov or tj Oshie sweepstakes um, on the right wing and here's why and let me let me phrase this let me let me play this out why because i look at the stars and i look at i start building my hypothetical lineup in my head and i look at i would like a second line of matthias yanmark jason spezza and devon shore and then i want a third line of radic foxa antoine Roussel, and brett ritchie that leaves my top line of obviously jamie ben tyler sagan and question mark on the right wing um now, your fourth line will be Adam Cracknell, Curtis McKenzie, and whoever else. Maybe Remy Ellie, maybe Jason Dickinson. Fourth line will be Ramos. But that leaves my top line right wing spot wide open. If I can get a Radulov or an Oshie to play with them, all of a sudden that line becomes. You have a truly dynamic top line on the right wing. Um, and I think, I mean, you have a truly dynamic top line, and you have a group that becomes one of the best lines in hockey with either of those guys. Now I don't know if Oshie will play for Hitchcock. That is one of the big issues here because I know him and Hitchcock bump, uh, bumped heads in, in St. Louis, so that's obviously for that to happen there'd have to be some smoothing over that. But the uh the uh Radulov could also Radulov has no history with Hitchcock, so he doesn't have any old wounds that have to be healed and so he could be a good option. What are your thoughts on my uh my spitballing here?
0: kovalchuk that's i don't even want to think about that's just there's so many moving parts that go into that that i don't even know that it's i mean it's always worth it to kick the tires but i just don't know what that's even going to end up because
1: you kick the tires on kovalchuk but the cost becomes i don't know what cost is worth for him because um the other thing is i think people keep talking about kovalchuk and um people keep keep Putting putting a certain value out there, I think the value is actually to acquire Kovalchuk's actually going to be lower than people think, because I think people are going to realize that Shero has to trade him.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because I don't think that Kovalchuk can really come back into that locker room. Yeah, uh,
1: so I think sh- it'll get to the point where Shero will have to trade him, and so other GMs can just be patient and let the value go down, because um, it could be because there's no way he comes back through the method. There's no way he comes back through the method where he signs with another team because <laughs> because A, New Jersey would veto that because they'd be giving up an asset. So the only way Kovalchuk comes back to the NHL for those who haven't paid attention to it or want a quick refresher, he has to sign with the Devils and they'll trade his they'll trade his rights, then they'll, they'll trade him trade him after they sign him. Um I mean, if if I'm Dallas, I kick the tires on it, but I'm not budging. I'm the only way I'm budging on it is all of a sudden I reach I reach middle of June and and Ray Shero is has not been able to find the deal he wants and all of a sudden I can I can win a blatantly win a deal on that trade that's the only way I'm going after Kovalchuk especially at his age and I don't know what uh I don't know how effective he's going to be I honestly don't know how effective he'll be in Hitchcock's system that's the other question because that's true because uh, we talk about the one reason I like Oshie, and the question is, will he play under Hitchcock, is I like Oshie as a two-way player because I think Oshie and Ben give a good give a good cushion to kind of allow Tyler Sagan to have about 25, 30 games to really learn to be that two-way center. Uh, if you have... Uh, and Radulov, a little bit less, but Radulov at least is responsible in his defensive zone. I just don't think Kolchuk's responsible in his defensive zone at all.
0: Yeah, I'd say if there was a player who would kind of fit that role for Hitchcock's system, ironically enough, it probably would be Oshi. Just I do, he plays a stronger two-way game. He's a guy. I mean, you saw a couple times in the playoffs him lying down, blocking mm-hmm. shots. I'd take a run at Radulov though. I mean, they're both the same age, so I mean, regardless, there's no no neither. I'd prefer necessarily due to age, contract requests, or whatever. I feel like they're both gonna. I don't know. I feel like Oshie's going to get seven years from whoever, Radulov. I feel like he'd probably get less. I don't know if he'd... I I have no reason to think that other than... I mean, I thought he was older than he actually Mm -hmm. is. He's only 32. 30 as well, not 32 years old. He's 30 as Mm -hmm. well. Um, I'd say... Honestly, I'd say I'd have a slight preference on Radulov just because it would put another Russian on the team. So when Val came back, there'd be that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe it entices him to come back a year sooner. Um, I'd be okay with either if the price – I mean, here I go again saying the price is right after I just bitch to people about – bitching about not about not their money being spent. Um, but just with – because I mean you don't even have to – I feel like you don't even have to worry about the cap as much because, I mean, obviously the Stars have a ton of cap. In. Pretty soon Jason Spetz is going to be coming off the books at the same time saying he's going to need an extension. So you're, you don't really have to worry about that. Because you're gonna have a bunch of you're gonna have enough money to do that. Um, I'd be hesitant to go seven years for seven plus with either guy, but I mean, if they do, it's the end, not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I feel like both guys are in elite enough. Like, well, they're all no shit; they're all in elite condition. They're professional athletes, but I feel like once again, this is just me seeing things through a looking glass that may or may not exist. But I feel like both guys are serious enough about their conditioning that they could kind of combat father time a little more than someone say like Kovalchuk who's Kovalchuk's like 34. I think he'll be
1: 35 at the, like I think he turns 35 in the middle of this upcoming season.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, it just depends on the contract. If you can get Kovalchuk for two years, six or 7 million a year, I wouldn't hate that. But once again, it just depends on contracts.
1: It, one last thing that you brought up, just because you touched on Val, and I'll just I'll just leave this as the end. It's interesting with with the developments on the World Championship roster um, for Russia. It may actually really be in favor of the stars getting Val back sooner than later, because I know a bunch. There has been some thought on um, well, Val might stay in Russia be, this this coming year because of the Olympic factor, because he'll have a better chance of making the Olympic team if he plays in the KHL and things like that, right? He's a black ace. He's a yes. black ace on the world championship roster. If he can't make the world championship roster, why would he make the Olympic team? Just, I mean, True. it's it's, it's, just, it's just a factor. In, and now, I'm not saying that, that that will actually go through his head, and he might still have the ego in his head that he's going to make that Olympic team. But his agent... And maybe the stars can look through and say, "Look, if you're if if you're if one of your qualms for staying in, in Russia."
0: Hey, Sean, you finish your monologue. I got to sign off. I got some someone's picking up an end table for me. What
1: are you doing, selling furniture now? Selling
0: furniture now? Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I move in four days, so I got to get rid of all Fair this Fair enough. Crap.
1: To end this, to end this right. I will say the uh, by having Val Nishushkin not making. The world championship roster and essentially being a black ace the stars are at a point where val doesn't have as much of that olympic carrot to stay in the khl and maybe could be back next year now i don't have any insight to that that's just random musing in my head um obviously ryan is selling furniture and selling end tables so i will sign off for both of us thank you for listening and uh we'll talk again soon